Hello and welcome to ELT Time with Garnet Education, where we talk with an industry guest about the hot topics and what's brewing in the ELT community. Hi there, welcome to the podcast. I'm Chris Little. I'm a senior editor here at Garnet. And today I'm joined uh, by Rachel Roberts. Rachel, as well as having been uh, a teacher, a teacher trainer, and a materials writer, uh, is also a qualified life coach and counsellor. And she specialises in helping teachers and educational professionals to avoid burnout and to live happy, balanced lives. Thanks so much for being with us, Rachel. Yeah, we're going to talk about um, teacher mental health and well-being today. So, yeah, I was wondering, maybe you could just tell us a bit about your current work, Rachel, um, which, as I understand it, you're working with teachers and educators who are, who are stressed, who are burned out, and trying to help them to, to take stock and to, to deal with their problems. Maybe you could tell us a bit about that. Sure, yes. Well, you know, unfortunately, um, there's a great need for this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I've worked, as you said, you know, in different fields of, of education, um, also being a manager um, a couple yeah. of times. Okay. And, you know, within all of these fields, I think, you know, people are under a lot of pressure. Um, mm. We know a lot about sort of what's going on with teachers because there's quite a lot of research done into that. Um, I was looking it up this morning and there's a, a report that's come out quite recently from the Education Support Partnership. I mean, this is about teachers in the UK, but I'm sure it applies worldwide. Sure. And it said 76% of education professionals experienced behavioural, psychological or physical symptoms due to stress compared to 60% of UK employees as a whole. You know, so we know that right. it's it's pressured mm. um, and um, it's also something that you know personally means something to me because I've kind of burnt out of work twice okay. um, first in 98 and then again in 2007 so I finally had to start learning some lessons and now I kind of want to help other people. Wow okay and what did you conclude from your from your burnouts and where did that lead you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, basically, I concluded that I had to do things differently. Um, yeah. But I have to say, you know, it did take me a while. I mean, I burnt out oh. the first time in, in 98. Yeah. And that was really what led to me starting to um, train as a counsellor because I became right. interested um, in the whole sort of, you know, psychology and things. So I, mm. I trained as a counsellor and psychotherapist between... 99 and 2002 but I still wasn't really applying it to myself because I burnt out again in 2007 <laughs> and I guess you know I mean it's a combination really I think of you know the practical things you know looking after yourself I'm particularly interested in how mindfulness practice can help you mm. but also you know really what what is the underlying root you know what is pushing you subconsciously to do these things to yourself which you know I'm not by the way saying that employers have no responsibility here but I am obviously looking at what the individuals can do to help themselves mm. and as well so there's a lot there I mean it's interesting you, you as you implied yourself from your own biography there's a there's quite a big link between uh, quite a big difference sorry between on the one hand having a certain level of psychological insight uh, theoretically and on the other hand 
being able to actually apply it to your own life and and make meaningful changes um is mindfulness the sort of is that the the thing that can help you to do that in your opinion i i think definitely it's a big part of it um mm. because mindfulness you know is basically about being more conscious and you know most of us spend most of our time on autopilot uh, you know, I mean, the classic example is the way that, you know, it's possible to drive to work uh, down a route that you do every day and arrive and have no recollection of the journey at all. Yes. Yeah. Because you, you've just been completely on automatic pilot. Yeah. And, you know, we need to do that some of the time. Mm. Our brains are set up to sort of automate things for us to make life easier. Mm. But it also means that we are likely to be doing lots of things that actually don't work for us very well automatically and mindfulness can help us to become more conscious and and to therefore make better choices yeah i've that resonates with my own experience maybe you could say a little bit more for people who i mean it's it's something that is talked about a fair amount currently but maybe you could say a little bit about what what mindfulness is for anyone who's Mm. listening who doesn't um who hasn't encountered it yeah sure i mean you know, essentially, it's, it's about being fully present, if you like, in the moment, rather than, you know, thinking about six different things at the same time, or as I say, being on automatic pilot. Um, and we often kind of lose touch, if you like, with what we're really feeling. So for example, um, people, you know, if you sit at a desk all day, which I do a lot now, because I write materials it's quite possible to not be aware of the fact that your muscles are gradually seizing up or that you're thirsty or that you're bending over you know and giving yourself a crick in your neck totally yeah and that's because you're not mindful um Mm. so being mindful is something that you kind of need to work on doing most of the time i think all is probably a bit beyond most of us unless we're the dalai lama um (laughs) But it starts by just being mindful for five minutes. And even doing that every day will start to make a difference. So just, you know, sitting for five minutes and being conscious of what you're feeling. Mm. Um, I mean, there are different exercises that you can do. In fact, I have, as you know, Chris, because I know you've read it, but I've produced a free ebook which has 30 different ways you can start to practice being mindful. Yeah, yeah, they're. I mean, they're they're brilliant. We'll we'll put your um, web link on the um, on the text on the website. So anyone listening, if you want to um, read uh, Rachel's book and and look at her website, the, the book is really really super. Um, and it actually, uh, having done a, a mindfulness course myself last year, the book was very much a spur to me to sort of re-examine my own practice and what what I was doing. So they're brilliant exercises. There's lots of different things in there because different things work for different people. You know, some people don't like just sitting, but you can also be mindful while you're walking or, you know, there are lots of different ways of doing it. Yeah. And you talked about um, the experience of of sitting at a desk, for instance. Um, And I had that experience myself actually noticing on some level what my body was telling me that, you know, I needed to straighten up or take a break or or have some food and and kind of ignoring repeated 
signals like that and then finding myself three hours later in a bit of a sort of funk because I've <laughs> you know just realized that I've not I've been ignoring what my body is telling me um what about um teachers and educators what what are the ways in which I imagine most of them aren't sitting at a desk for hours at a time mm. um or at least they probably are in the evenings but maybe not yes. during the day um, <laughs> from what I've heard anyway uh, yeah um what, what well, are the things that you think uh, kind of help people in that situation uh well I mean there's a lot but but sure. I think yeah to start yeah. with I mean one thing that that I think comes up a lot with teachers actually is breaks yeah okay um, because for many teachers um breaks are that time when they answer questions from students um they help students with problems they do paperwork you know they're not actually breaks at all yeah um and you know this is where um we we do need to also look at the environment that people are working in because they should be being supported to actually take breaks teaching's really hard work uh, physically and mentally and emotionally because you're you know you're dealing with the emotions of 20 30 you know however many students that you've got in the room you're trying to mm. interact with all of them so it, it's incredibly hard work and you absolutely have to take a break you know so there's the practical things of where you're working is it supporting you to take that break yeah but there's also the big question about you know what is it in you and this is where the subconscious stuff comes in that is kind of telling you that students needs are more important than yours mm. or um i'm too busy i'm too busy you know are you a bit addicted mm. to being busy it's kind of looking at what is actually going on underneath right. yeah so you it's in part at least about identifying the sort of subconscious beliefs that that actually prevent people from taking care of themselves absolutely yeah. and and this is the problem because yeah. you can you can give people advice about you know how to take care of themselves and yes you should go for get some fresh air and go for walks or you should drink more water or, and that's great mm. but the problem is that underneath there are things that are preventing you from doing that yeah yeah and if you don't if you don't get to grips with that you're not going to be able to change because it's it's too powerful yeah yeah i mean it's a fact of experience isn't it that advice about what's good for you on its own doesn't at least in my experience it doesn't change your your everyday behavior it, it's it's very difficult yeah uh, to change habitual behavior you know i mean i i think this is something that people generally know these days but we have these connections in the brain uh, which mm. we call neural pathways and they're set up they're like shortcuts yeah and and so we build these sort of shortcuts you know if this hap if x happens i do y kind of shortcuts uh, you know if i feel stressed i inhale a packet of biscuits you know that kind of shortcut <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and they're very very every time we do it it makes the connection stronger so neuroscientists say you know what fires together wires together so every time we make this connection it gets stronger and stronger and stronger and becomes like a sort of super highway and so to do something different the brain you know doesn't want you to do that it's put a lot of effort into creating this shortcut for you and so it will take you back to that every time so you need to be consciously 
doing something different to the point where you've made a new pathway or a new connection you know so it 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 doesn't just happen overnight and it isn't a question of willpower either you know because that unfortunately that doesn't work I mean they've actually found that we have limited amounts of willpower and and we can use it all up and that's Mm. why you know people start off with good intentions yeah and then towards the end of the day they go out the window because we've used up all the willpower absolutely yeah again that's that resonates with my experience um (laughs) that's interesting about willpower though well you recommended to me the chimp paradox um Mm. dr steve peters um which is yeah i mean from anecdotally seems to be a book that's that's helped a lot of people um but i've read a bit of that he talks about fighting the chimp with willpower and how that's kind of it's impossible mm. the, the, the chimp inside yeah i mean know. i i'd love i love that um concept that he's come up with i yeah. think it's it, it's very helpful and you know essentially what he's referring to is the um the most sort of primitive part of the brain that's what he calls the chimp you know the limbic system or the amygdala and that part of the brain is exactly where these sort of shortcuts, if you like, are set up. And it, it's very sort of basic stuff. It's fight flight stuff. Yeah. And it's good in a way to think of it as a sort of separate entity inside you, you know, without wanting to make everybody feel that <laughs> they've gone mad. Yeah. But, we kind, but we kind of do have two brains. We've got like the sort of the old primitive brain that does sort of all the fight flight automatic quick response stuff and then we've got the more developed um prefrontal cortex which is you know the bit in your forehead which is able to make more sort of subtle distinctions and to be more logical and that kind Mm -hmm. of thing and the chimp part of the brain just reacts and it reacts in in the ways that you know you've trained it to react so you've kind of got to re retrain it yeah and i think one of the interesting things for me just reading those chapters in the last Mm. couple of days has been his point that um it's not about denying as you've said or or fighting with willpower this this if you want to call it the chimp part of yourself you know with the 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 needs of the this more primitive brain uh if that's how we're thinking about it are needs that are in and of themselves not necessarily good or bad but they're, they're human needs that kind of need to be met so in some sense when you're being stressed and you know (laughs) to use Mm. your example reaching for the biscuits or reaching for the cigarette or whatever it is that you're doing there's something behind that that is an emotional need that that needs to be met isn't there and it's it's examining your actual Mm. response to it and 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 seeing whether actually there'd be a better way of of meeting that need i guess Yes, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, the chimp is always trying to look after you. It can be really frustrating sometimes, <laughs> but yeah. you know, it is trying. It is trying to protect you. But the problem is that the chimp basically is trying to keep you alive, and that's not the same thing as being happy. You know, it it prioritizes survival over you know everything else. And so, as far as it's concerned, you're in a life-threatening situation you know and therefore you you have to respond in a particular way you know so for for people who um struggle with anxiety for example you know the chimp will tell them no you know you can't go out and meet people no you can't you know it will tell them not to do anything because those things are too risky 
So following your chimp doesn't make you happy necessarily, but it, it, you have to understand that it is trying to help you. And if you get sort of annoyed with it mm. and start trying to battle it, mm. that really doesn't help because it, it just sort of is trying to force you to survive, you know? Right, yeah. So it is, it is about, as you say, being able to use the more logical part of your brain to step back from that. And that's where meditation in particular has been shown, um, not necessarily mindfulness meditation. I think any kind of meditation has been shown to strengthen the connections between the precortex and the chimp part of the brain mm. so that you can do that more easily. Oh, interesting. I mean, speaking from my own experience, I think I, I found mindfulness very powerful. I continue to find it very powerful, actually. Um, I think the main problem I've had is maintaining the practice, which is something I have been able to do in small ways, but I've maybe felt that it's it's quite a difficult thing sometimes. I mean, I was doing an hour a day for my course, and that, that was, you know, carving out that time felt pretty tough. On the other hand, it helped me a lot. I don't know if you have any tips for teachers people who are listening in terms of starting a, a mindfulness practice what 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 would you recommend I mean there's lots in your book of course but um... sure I mean I think you know I think the thing to bear in mind is that you, you are going to meet resistance mm. um, partly because the chimp does not want you to become mindful yeah <laughs> <laughs> because you know then you might not listen to it right? yeah. so so there's a resistance there and also, you know, your mind is created to want stimulation. It's always looking for something new. Mm. So sitting and noticing that there's going to be some resistance. There's going to be, oh, but I could be doing this or I could be doing that. Or, you know, all sorts of thoughts will pop up. And I think mm. as well, I mean, you will have gone through this and out the other side, probably if you did a course. But there's also, I think, you know, quite a lot of resistance because when you first try to just sit and notice what's going on inside your head, it's bloody terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> it's very scary, isn't it? <laughs> yes, because there's so much going on inside your head. Yeah. You yeah. know, you realise that you are actually living with all these sort of competing mm. voices, which Absolutely. most of the time you manage to to block out. So, yeah. you know, there is there is resistance to it there's also things like people say oh you know it's not really me it's a bit woo woo but again there are different ways of doing it you know some mm. more woo woo than others I sure. think I think my my main sort of advice would be don't try and do an hour a day at least to start with because mm. um, you're kind of setting yourself up to fail most yes. likely if you do that <laughs> um, but if you could you know just spend even five minutes in the morning you know, instead of flicking through your email on your phone when you wake up, mm. if you could just spend five minutes just breathing. Um, mm. Well, obviously we breathe all the time, you know, but consciously breathing mm. and just noticing how you feel um, in your body and just noticing the thoughts come in mm. and not attaching to them. So this is another thing, actually. People often think that mindfulness is about getting a blank mind. Yeah. And actually, that's very, very difficult. Um, and it's not necessary. It's not a very realistic goal, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> but people think, oh, I can't do it because I can't get a blank mind. And you think mm. people spend, you know, lifetimes trying to achieve that. Um, it's simply about not getting attached to the thoughts. So you notice them, but instead of following them down a rabbit hole, you just let them go past 
you know so people have different ways of doing it i mean one one thing i quite like is you imagine you're sitting at a bus stop and you're just watching the traffic go by and when a thought comes up you just plaster it onto a bus that's going past mm, and just watch nice. the bus go you know yeah <laughs> but people do it with like you know bubbles floating off into the sky or um paper boats down a river or you know so it's just something that you notice it and then it moves on yeah and and you're sort of as you say it's this attentiveness to what's to what's happening which you can sort of um i can't remember what the word was you used sorry i've 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 lost the, i've lost the word you used but um you described some people's reservations Detach- about mm. mindfulness basically mm. in terms oh woo woo you mean woo woo that's right <laughs> yes. woo woo yeah <laughs> woo woo yeah it's kind of, i kind of find that interesting because it um the spirituality of it if you like if you if if you want to use the word spirituality which i think is appropriate is is actually in an attentiveness to what is is happening to you physically and mentally which um it's quite it's quite embodied and quite carnal in that sense i guess at least for me um it's it's not about introducing a whole load of you know <laughs> a whole well, load of not... concepts that you have to recognize in some way exactly i mean it's not a religion no. you know i mean it comes out of a religious tradition buddhism but i mean actually you know there is meditation in christianity as well i mean it, actually, it's just yeah. something that people have discovered mm. helps um you can relate it to religion if you want to but you absolutely don't have to um and i think you know if you can just get into sort of doing small bits of practice even five ten minutes gradually you can start to put it more into the rest of your day Um, I mean one thing that works quite well is if you can set up like sort of um, transition points in your day so for example if you're a teacher if you kind of practice that every time you open your classroom door you will become mindful so you'll kind of wake up from you know the running around and not being conscious and as you walk through that door you're mindful that's a brilliant start you know or another one you know not so much maybe for teachers but every time the phone rings don't pick it up immediately take a breath and Mm -hmm. become mindful and you know it's a bit like Pavlov's dog you know where he rang the bell and when he fed the dog and eventually the dog salivated right yeah yeah you know you can kind of train your brain in that way so if you train your brain that every time you walk through the classroom door mm. you take a deep breath and kind of become present that will just become automatic over time that's fantastic and can we just talk briefly i know you it, it's something you mentioned earlier mm. rachel about um the wider conditions that teachers are working in and, mm. and you quoted a stat it was something like 73 percent of teachers are Mm, 76 76 there you go so over three quarters of teachers are in this country are suffering from stress-related symptoms is that right Mm. um yeah you so i mean without wishing to to sort of crudely set mindfulness against wider changes because i'm sure sounds like for you and i think for me they they kind of go together what where do where do employers fit into this picture you know where does where do the kind of wider conditions sort of fit in? I think it is really important, you know, that we acknowledge that, Mm. you know, this is a a very sort of tricky one because people very often respond to any suggestion um, that, you know, teachers could help themselves by saying, no, but, you know, you're victim blaming and, you know, and 
and I think it's about both is my yeah. feeling. Yeah. So absolutely, you know, I think that schools um, and other educational establishments have a responsibility uh, to look after um, the people who work for them. And indeed, you know, publishers, I mean, all the publishers I work with are completely stressed out of their heads mm. and working weekends and evenings. And, you know, so it, it goes across sure. the whole educational area. Yeah. And absolutely, I think they have a responsibility. And there are things they can do, like making sure that teachers get breaks would be one of them. You know, thinking about what actually needs to be done. I mean, teachers very often have huge amounts of paperwork, most mm. of which is probably unnecessary you know so really thinking about what has to be done and not overloading teachers um, there's a school in my area which if you email a teacher out of hours you will get a response saying that it's out of hours and that they'll get back to you mm, that's you know? very good yeah and I think that is absolutely right you know they should be protecting mm. and looking after teachers so in no way am I saying, you know, that this is all the individual's responsibility. No, sure. However, no. you know, we also do have to look at what we personally can control, which is mainly ourselves. And I think we also do have to take responsibility for our own beliefs and patterns, you know, that are putting us in this situation. You know, talking about myself personally, I know that a big part of why I burnt out was because there was part of me that kind of quite enjoyed being overloaded and you know martyr syndrome if you right like. yeah yeah you know it made it made me feel good because I was you know oh I'm just so busy and yeah. so many people need me and you know and yeah. I had to take responsibility for that it sort of it fueled your ego in some way being yes. kind of overloaded yeah yeah absolutely yeah, you know and that, that that can be a pattern for people it can be um, a fear of rejection you know if I don't do all of these things that everybody's asking me to do they won't like me anymore um, you know I mean there are loads of things I mean it's different for everybody but you have to kind of get down to the root of why you're putting yourself in this situation and some of it may be things that are external probably are sure. but some of it is almost certainly going to be about you yeah. And what your what choices you're making yeah yeah and I guess in that sense mindfulness is is quite empowering isn't it because it it gives you the chance to to examine what what you can actually control um, which mm. often is very in my experience that's it's a very it can be a very vague thing kind of you can feel like you have no control over anything um, until you start to examine it mm, absolutely you know, I think I think it goes both ways. I think some people feel that they have no control over anything and other people feel that they have to control everything. Right. Yeah. And actually neither of those no. are very helpful. <laughs> no. <laughs> neither very healthy states of mind. No. no. You know, so it is about being able to identify, you know, what, what you can and can't control. And if you can control it and you can do something to change it, then then absolutely do so, you know. Mm. It's, this is not about being passive and it's certainly not about being a victim. Quite so, yeah. Could we talk technology briefly? I was intrigued mm. by the bit in your, you, well, you've mentioned a couple of times in your book and on the podcast about sort of waking up and checking your smartphone. Mm. Um, I don't know exactly how this relates to the teaching profession, but um, it's just an a thing I'm interested in from my own experience, really. Um, 
because I, I decided not to have a smartphone anymore, which has been quite a, quite wow. a positive <laughs> for me. Um, <laughs> but, um, oh, I couldn't do that. <laughs> well, it's yeah. I mean, it's not. It's genuinely not very practical for a lot of people. But um, yeah, um, do you think that? For, I'll put my cards on the table for my money. Mm-hmm. Smartphones, especially, are kind of contributing to an environment where it's harder for people to be happy and harder for people to be mindful. Mm. Um, I don't know whether you have any thoughts on that. or I, I um, think that, unfortunately, because I, I like my phone. But yeah, I yeah think, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. But I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think part of the problem is, you know, I mentioned earlier about how much the brain loves stimulation. Mm. Um, and every time the brain is stimulated, you get like a hit of dopamine, which makes you feel good. Yeah. And so the way that we spend lots of time, like flicking through social media in particular, I think, you know, it's very rewarding for the brain because it's lots of novelty, lots of, you know, things that provoke dopamine. But it's also really quite stressful because it's putting the brain on alert all the time because it's something new, something new, something new, something new. And so it's very hard to then switch off right yeah it's priming the brain to be reactive and i think particularly you know if it's something that you do the first thing that you wake up i mean this is something which i really do try not to do um Mm. you're immediately pulled into being reactive Mm. you know before you've done anything else in the day and i think that i think that's incredibly bad for you um so you know ideally I mean, I think it is difficult now for people not not to have phones. I, as I say, I, I couldn't see myself not doing it. But I think if you can try and restrict the amount of times that you look at them, it's not even the amount of time per se. It's sure. the fact that people are looking at their phones hundreds of times a day. Yeah, yeah. It's that very much kind of you keep going back to it, don't you? That's what was true in my mm. experience. You sort of, you go to it and then a minute later you're going back to it without even realising what you're doing almost or having any reason to. Yes, exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and certainly like turn off notifications, that would be another mm. thing. Because mm. those notifications are there to provoke you to look at it again. You know, it's, it's quite deliberate. They are sort of trying to build up a kind of addiction in your brain to the dopamine. And yeah, I agree. I don't think it's good for us. That's very interesting. A cheeky question that I haven't mm. warned you about at all. But um, <laughs> do you, have you have you ever done um, any mindfulness in a lesson, or do you think that it's something that can kind of happen in in schools on a more sort of communal basis, or you know, I don't know anything like that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. Actually, I have, and I okay. do. I do think so. I mean, I think you know, obviously. Well, I say obviously. I mean, I think people it depends on your situation but um i would say in most situations it's not going to be appropriate to sort of sit and do long meditations with your students sure however i think it's certainly possible you know to do short activities that just sort of focus the students again uh, particularly with younger learners i think it works very well and they're much more open to that kind of thing. You may get more resistance from adults. Right, yeah. But there are also things you can do which combine language work and mindfulness. Mm. Um, you know, so for example, one thing that I've done with classes, um, and this is adults, 
is to just get them to stop and either close their eyes or look down at their desk because sometimes people don't want to close their eyes um, for just like a minute and count what sounds they hear and mm. then they talk to each other about what they've heard so mm, you've still got right. language practice but you have actually got people being mindful and focused and it does help when you go on to the next activity you notice the difference because people are more grounded and focused that's fascinating that's lovely activity yeah i think i mean i think there are quite a few things that can be you know adapted like that i mean describing mm. things for example mm. you know if yeah. you think about the classic mindfulness activity of, of you know the raisin where you look at it and then you taste it and and you can do quite similar things in the classroom mm. with a language focus as well if, if they're describing an object in or a picture in great detail that's kind of a mindfulness activity that's great really really interesting links there that, that are kind of yeah totally intuitive from the sort of language learning point of view but mm. they're they're encouraging people to maybe slow down a bit if you like and and be a bit more attentive yes um, and and you know i mean i think personally i don't tend to go too too deep in that kind of situation sure. um, okay, i mean i yeah. had my fingers burnt actually many years ago i was doing um a diploma course teaching a diploma course and i did a a visualization about times in your life when you've been successful and one person got extremely upset because oh. all that came to her mind was all the time she hadn't been oh yeah you know, okay. so i think you do have to be a bit careful actually yeah. about about doing sort of personal development type work in the classroom but that doesn't mean right. you can't have some mindful moments sure yeah yeah i guess it doesn't all have to be explicit does it like it the the actual um I don't know, I guess, like you say, if you're bringing up a topic in quite an explicit way that might resonate with people, hopefully that's, that's mm. maybe a slightly different thing to some implicit sort of mindful activity. Absolutely. It's just a sort of, you know, a word of warning, I think, not, not perhaps to go too deep if you're not prepared to deal what might come up. You know? Right, yeah. yeah, especially if you've got 30 people in the class. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, Rachel, thank you so much. I think that's probably all we've got time for. Um, was, it, was there anything else that you'd like to to talk about um, before we sort of... Yeah, we... No, no, I think, you know, it's been... I mean, I could probably talk on for another hour or two, so, yeah. you know. Well, I think we I could too, to be honest, on this topic. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, um, yeah, Rachel, thank you so much. It's been really fascinating um, talking to you. Um, no, very nice to talk to you too, Chris. Um, yeah, thank you so much. And that's it from us today. If you'd like to get in touch or to see our latest updates, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Garnet Education or head to garneteducation.com forward slash podcast for show notes and information about today's guest. Thanks for listening.